This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Magnin. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumeble. And our topic this week is... My experience at NS Nord 2019. We haven't talked about that in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but first, we have some follow-up. Uh, do you want to go first, or I don't? I told you I don't have any follow-ups. Yeah, oh, I that's just re- true. I left you for our comeback from a small hiatus. I left the door open for you to take all the follow-up, and it seems that from what you told me without sending me the list, that it is quite the case. Yeah, I have quite a bit of follow-up. Uh, but first, we're going to flash forward into the future because mm. I'm going to talk about episode 113, which is the next episode. Because, uh, as you may recall, um, the reason we took a hiatus, among other things, was that I was going to be participating in the Ludum Dare 44 Game Jam with my friend Woof. And we made a game. It was called Sacrifice Battle. And you can go download it on itch.io. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes specifically to our game. Uh, and we're going to be discussing my experience in this game jam during the next episode. So if you have any questions you'd like answered about my experience uh, during the game jam, please tweet at us on Twitter and we will try to answer your questions on the next episode. That's a surprise news because I would have assumed that we were talking about my nice long weekend in Vancouver while during while I was doing ITS. That would have been for a nice topic for the next uh, episode, but I think yours is also good. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, moving on to follow up about episode 111 on the role of fashion at Apple. Uh, this week's upgrade was actually quite interesting because there was some additional analysis on what was said about Apple retail during the latest quarterly earnings call. And there was some speculation on Angela Aaron's potential reasons for leaving Apple regarding uh, comments that were made during that sales call. So definitely go listen to upgrade 244 on the relay.fm network. Uh, regarding that too, I was sorry for the interruption, but regarding that too, I think it was the New York Post or New York Times that had some article about Apple retail recently this week. I don't know. I didn't see that go by. Okay. I have to find it maybe, but I'll try to find it uh, for the show notes. But there was an interesting, like super recent, I think a couple of year, a uh, couple of uh, days old about kind of a bit of like those uh, suspicion. And I think it was like from, ex apple like retail employees and geniuses it was quite interesting i think kind of the notes of uh, what has been said also during this upgrade episode cool uh david ashby wrote in to say that my comparison points between ginza and shibuya and their equivalents in new york are inaccurate (laughs) so i can always count on my new york listeners to (laughs) chime in when i'm wrong about stuff to be fair i haven't been in new york for almost 10 years now so (laughs) things have apparently changed uh and he claims that the new york version of shibuya sounds more like williamsburg than soho these days soho is basically all luxury brands and art galleries now so that wasn't the impression i got last time i was in uh new york city i looked up williamsburg because i haven't ever really been to brooklyn and it seems quite different from shibuya in terms of aesthetic but maybe the mentality is similar i don't know it doesn't seem quite right to me but i'm not the expert here so i'm going to defer to david's comments on that uh next up is episode 110 on battle royale games so this week had some interesting battle royale news first of all respawn is apparently working on bringing apex legends to china and to mobile Ooh. Yeah, that is super interesting. Uh, I mentioned on that episode that all of my Snack Exploration friends have always been, like, playing it every day, basically. And now, if there can be mobile and maybe even crossplay, that could mean that I could join in more often when I'm, like, on my lunch break or whatever, and not just, like, when I'm at home and want to boot up the PS4. 
another weird thing that happened this week is PUBG Mobile got pulled from the app stores in China to comply with anti-violence regulations. And they released a clone, which is not called PUBG Mobile. I forgot what the name is, but it's some really like Chinese propaganda government approved name. Uh, and it is um, basically exactly the same game, except they comply with the regulations. So now when you kill someone, instead of seeing a death animation, they sit down cross-legged on the ground and wave goodbye to you and give you a loot box, which is very strange. I think I showed you the video of this. You did. And we need to put the video and the, the tweet in the show notes because that is just strange and funny. It's kind of absurd. And a couple of people it's were completely. tweeting that all Battle Royale games should be changed to be like this because <laughs> it's too hilarious. It is hilarious. Um, so yeah, I wish they would actually add like a toggle switch in the, in the US version or whatever so that we can enable it here too. Um, but yeah, like weird change that I wanted to bring up because China is weird sometimes. Next up, I have some follow up on episode 107 on VR. Uh, actually, I'm going to lump two things together because this is sort of related to another thing. So, uh, the last episode came out on my birthday, uh, but we recorded a couple day b- days before that, so I didn't know it at the time, but I got a PlayStation, uh, a set of, of PlayStation Move controllers for my birthday, and I ended up buying Super Hot VR so that I could play that with the PlayStation Move controllers. Super Hot VR, if you may remember, is a game that requires PlayStation Move controllers, and so I wasn't really wholly into the idea of spending $200 on a controller that I mostly was intending to play with one game. Um, so I have Super Hot VR. Super Hot VR is a game where uh, there are red guys walking around this white room and any object that is black you can interact with. So you can grab a gun that is on a table and hold it with a PlayStation Move controller and shoot the red people with this gun. Uh, you can grab swords. You can pull bullets out of the air and throw them back at the enemies all sorts of weird stuff and the whole (laughs) weird the whole mechanic is time only moves when you move so if you move quickly time moves fast and if you move slowly time moves slow so you can do really goofy action movie maneuvers uh and the added bonus of this is of course you are holding these giant glowing sticks in your hands and you have this giant glowing headset on your head so if you're like me and uh people can see light through your shades um i must look like a complete goofy maniac in my apartment just like ducking and hitting things in the air with like these giant glowing things uh, running around my apartment it's really strange uh, it's also the most tiring VR game I've played, mostly because you're very physically active while you play it, which I can't say is necessarily true for any of the other games. I think the closest that uh, comes to that is Astrobot, because you're constantly changing your perspective and bending to try to move the camera, whereas this, you're constantly moving. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. I played it for about a half hour right now. I want to play it more, but I just have my hands full with a billion other things including playing final fantasy 8 uh so i'm glad that i got it so that i can play it some more when i have more time for it but right now i don't really have the time uh i have a backstory regarding that by the way i heard this backstory and i <laughs> laughed so hard <laughs> you heard about the backstory so yes yeah. i did a, a, a couple of the, i think a week or two before your birthday your mom just uh, sent me a text is like um we're kind of unsure if we should buy this for you nick i'm like you know what me too 
<laughs> and that was just a, uh, just a bit before uh, we met, and I was first able to try um, your PSVR uh, setup. So I also I started to I, I, I'm sure I hope I was subtle enough that they, they didn't realize, but I did ask a couple of questions that were a me being kind of fake new but new by the same time because I had those questions too about which games required the move. But your mom was asking like, are we buying PlayStation moves and he has no games to play with it? I'm like. Ah, that I and it was funny because I think he talked about. Yeah, she asked me that in between the two episodes because the, you were talking about the. Uh, he, we just released the episode about you buying the PSVR, and then she started to ask me the question because uh, she's listening to the show too, and I was like, ah, um, um, that's a good point. I don't recall. So yeah, that was a funny couple of uh, uh, exchanges between her and I about uh, your gift. Yeah, and she told me like what the questions she asked you were, and then I told her, well, all those answers were in the podcast. You could have just re-listened to the podcast, <laughs> and you would have had the answers. Um, but yeah, uh, she didn't do that. So, but yeah. it, no big deal. Uh, Super Hot was on sale, I think, that week too. So it wasn't a big expense to get the game, and I had the controllers, so that was nice. Yeah, I heard. It, I heard that you were happy over the gift, so that's good. Yes, I was. So the surprise worked. Yep. Next up is some follow-up to some follow-up from episode 103. <laughs> Our favorite follow-up. Yes, nested follow-up. Uh, on episode 103, during the follow-up section, we mentioned that friend of the show, Sorik, uh, had shut down the CDS store. And we had a little moment where we talked about our experience in the jailbreak scene. And now Sorik has pretty much exited the jailbreak scene completely after a Twitter rant a few weeks ago about how the community is run by bullies. It is a very interesting read, uh, as usual, because Sorik is a very good writer. Uh, I wish he had posted it on a blog and not in a fucking Twitter thread, but mm, that's the world in 2019. Uh, but I'm just going to read his last tweet here, which I think encapsulates the whole thing, uh, the whole state of mind he was in. Truly, jailbreaking should have stopped during the iOS 9 era, if not before. There is a reason, essentially all of the reasonable developers left long ago, and the community is largely now run by bullies. Everything that we do now just digs jailbreaking into a deeper hole full of fail. So nice words from Sorik. It's going to be sad, uh, because Sorik is one of the smartest people I know in the jailbreak scene, and he's been at it for 10 years, and I think after 10 years, he's done more than his fair share for the community and he's peacing out um and this all sort of started because he was at a conference unrelated to jailbreaking i think and he was giving a lightning talk and immediately like after that a bunch of people came up to him and started harassing him like where's a version of city of substrate that works with a12 processors and like sork has other shit to do than actually like patch a12 and i think i'm not entirely sure because i haven't been keeping up with the jailbreaking scene as much but i'm under the impression that the current a12 compatible jailbreak has incomplete kernel patches which would prevent substrate from running cleanly so people are asking him to basically do the impossible because you can't do things cleanly you'd have to do things in a dirty way that sorik doesn't approve of so he doesn't want to do it period and anyway it, it's complicated um but i tend to agree with Sorik's point of view because he's a very reasonable and smart person. Uh, and while I'm sad to see him go from the jailbreak space, it makes total sense and I respect his decision. Yeah, and I think in that thread, it, it, I had the feeling that years ago he was super passionate about this, but now, like, I I think he, he makes the clear implication that obviously the bullies are really not helping with this, but even then, like, naturally, after, like, 10 years, like, his passion for jailbreaking kind of went away. 
and maybe he would have stayed and maintained a lot more work but of course bringing bullies to the picture is not helping the situation at all and making him be less and less patient nor passionate about this and someone who has known uh Sarek since the ios 1.1.3 days literally like i was hanging out in his channel back when there were eight people in it in irc I think back then there was much more of a friendly community like, yeah, we're doing something cool together and we're sticking together like that. And then as his friends started falling off, there were less and less people for him to be friendly and cool with. And like when you're just the last person left in your community doing it just because it's routine, it's like it doesn't feel fun anymore and you just decide to bail and go work on more interesting things. On a side note regarding uh, jailbreaking, uh, this week I ran into one of those new stores that are kind of replacing the CD store. And oh no! One of them, I don't, I don't recall its name, but one of them is a clear, a clear copy of the App Store layout. It was funny. I was like, I clicked oh, wow. on it. I think they were like doing some kind of a. The tweak I've seen is they do notification with the big app icon on a black screen, and then it becomes the OS, normal OS notification. It's kind of a fancier animation. Uh, it looked nice, but I was like, what's, is that an app on the app store? And I realized, oh no, it's just a Cedia store clone that is looking like the app store because that's the same like rounded buttons and all that stuff. It was crazy weird. Oh, I should also mention that following, uh, this sort of exit from the jailbreak scene, uh, Sorik handed off the Cedia source to another developer. I don't remember the name of the guy. I think it's S Binger or something is his username. Uh, which it's a name that sounds familiar, though I can't say I've ever engaged with them, so I have very little memory of who they are or how notable they are. Um, you said the store or the source? The source code, well, okay. the source code has always been public, but the official maintainer for Cydia has basically become this guy instead okay, of Sorik. Sorik okay. is not interested in maintaining Cydia anymore. I wasn't sure if I heard the store, because the store, like, I will start to be... No, the store's free. closed. Yeah, it is closed, but like I don't want people to have access to that except Sorik. That's what I'm more or less. What yeah, I'm that doing. that's true. Uh, while we're on the topic of jailbreaking, shout out to friend of the show Dustin Howitt, whose team announced this week at the Microsoft Build conference that they are working on the upcoming Windows terminal, which is a really fancy, fancy terminal app for Windows. As someone who does a lot of command line shit in Windows, the Windows command line scene has been repulsive. Uh, forever, and they are finally doing something to give Windows a good terminal, and I can't think of a better person to do that than Dustin, who has done a fantastic job with his jailbreak stuff back in the day, then went on to work on WinObc, and I think like WinObc did not really take off in the way they had hoped, and I think that's kind of disappeared, and now they're working on this. So I'm very excited to see how that turns out, because I use a lot of command line shit at work, and I would love a better terminal, because they're all bad right now. <laughs> There was a lot of funny discussion about, uh, I think it's the build conference happening right now. Yep. Um, there was a lot of funny discussion because Microsoft, to be honest, is doing a lot of great work right uh, these days, especially for developers. Uh, and a lot of people are like, hmm, they're building nice PCs now and they have really nice tools integrated in the OS. I think now they've fully announced that the, they will have the Linux kernel in Windows now for development purposes. And just not that the kind of the Linux subsystem, like it's a more clear integration, kind of making Windows Linux. Yeah, like I might be wrong on some of the details, but from what I've quickly read on Twitter, it looks quite promising for more like server developers or uh, web developers. Uh, so like a lot of people say, maybe my next laptop is not going to be a MacBook Pro anymore, which is uh, 
a big discussion and a tense discussion in the Apple community these days. Yeah, I saw some longtime Mac developers saying they're basically emulating the playbook that Apple had for Mac OS X, where they were really just like, get developers on our system and they will evangelize for us. And that is pretty much what's happening now because developers are pissed on Apple platforms and they are in a position to evangelize to a lot of other people, which would be really strange, really, but eh. I hope this means that uh, Steve Ballmer will just come back out of his retirement. Oh, just the God. developers, developers, developers. That He's I just want to kill Microsoft <laughs> if he comes back. No, but he comes back just for that. He comes back for just doing the opening of build every year, just yelling developers, 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 and then he goes away. Did you see the? I think I sent you this, but I'm not sure. Uh, there was a YouTube video that was doing the rounds about a month ago, which is a comedy youtuber that was doing a parody of twitch streamers but for professional excel oh yeah oh yes that's <laughs> so funny yeah, yeah yeah and they were going to BalmerCon. yes to do a big excel tournament like that <laughs> made me laugh so hard i love that video because it's so accurate anyway uh while we're on the topic of microsoft let's talk about the xbox one s all digital edition or the xbox 8 as i called it on a previous episode which is the dumbest name i've ever given something uh it was released out of the blue randomly on some morning and the same morning guess what News about the next generation PlayStation was announced. What a coincidence. <laughs> so uh, the next generation PlayStation, which they will not call PS5 because they they refuse to call it PS5 in public. They always say next generation PlayStation uh, is about three things. It's about ray tracing. It's about SSD storage. And it's about 8K output, which is kind of crazy. Um, I'm not really interested in going super in depth right now because we, ha we will have plenty of time uh, to do that in the next year or so because they have said it's not going to be out before the end of the year kind of like the mac pro <clears throat> uh, <laughs> uh, the part of the news that i found particularly interesting is that they confirmed that existing psvr headsets will be forward compatible with the ps5 which means that i have the headset now and oh by the way the ps5 is going to be uh sorry not the ps5 the next generation playstation is going to be backward compatible with the ps4 because it's probably going to be another intel thing uh so all of my existing games will can transfer over to the next generation PlayStation and I'll be able to continue using my PSVR headset, which sounds pretty sweet. So I'm excited. Like I said, I don't want to get too into the details. I'm not convinced this is the correct direction to take the PS5 in terms of what they should be focusing on. Uh, and I doubt some of their claims. Like they say, oh, now that we're on SSD, instead of taking a minute and a half to load in Spider-Man, it loads in 18 seconds. And I'm like, uh... I have an SSD right now, and the difference between non-SSD and SSD storage right now is not that significant. So it can't just be the SSD. True, but if you think about it, though, I, yes, SSD are fast, but we're still going on through, like, quote-unquote, slower buses, right, where it is connected. So if I think that they are maybe trying to think that, I'm sorry to say that, but the SSD is not upgradable, and then they solder it to the board, and they have like. I mean, that's what it sounds like from what they're talking about. Yeah, and it is fast chip as fast as what we see in Apple devices. Then I can believe those claims. Well, the thing that sort of worries me about this is they're also claiming like up to 8K video output, which like, let's be realistic, it's probably going to be like 6K upscale to 8K or something like that because yeah, yeah. I don't think you can do 8K something that's going to come out in the next year and be console priced but 
you're still going to need textures and assets that actually render well up to 8K. And those are going to take place. Like the 4K upgrades were not insignificant for the PS4 Pro. And now you're going up to 8K. Like how many games am I able to store on that SSD? Like two? <laughs> That's kind of more or less the case with the normal PS4 that is uh, 500 gigs. It's like three gigs. I know. <laughs> that's kind of the problem like the average size of games on my ps4 right now is between 50 and 80 gigs oh my goodness like i don't think that's gonna work but whatever uh time will tell we have more follow-up to go through so i'm going to stop it there for ps5 but just be aware it's out there you have more follow-up of course i do Shit, okay. I told you I had follow-up. Uh, yes, yes. Sir. But not much more. Uh, so so the w- next thing... Will we talk about NS Nord in two weeks? Uh, maybe. Oh, fine. Uh, so the next thing is about Nintendo mobile games. I didn't have the time to look up which episode it was, but who cares? Uh, Mario Kart Tour Android beta sign-ups have been opened, and the beta will be uh, happening from May 22nd to June 4th. No iOS uh, betas? That's, uh, that's no, because you can't do betas on iOS. You can do like weird early access shit, but like the only person that has... <laughs> Not, what about this, right? That's betas. Oh, dear God. What? Do you think... <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure, whatever. No, they're, they're not going to do that. <sighs> I mean, technically, the Elder Scrolls, uh, what's it called, Blades? The thing that they showed at WWDC last... No, for the iPhone 10, even the, worse. The, you mean the the small uh, time when you can rest your eyes and sleep a bit during the dub dub stuff? Yeah, that thing. Uh, they showed off that game like I think it was either last year or the year before, and then they had this thing which was very much like Mailbox when that originally launched, and they were like, "You're in line to to be able to try this game. We'll send you a notification when it's your turn to try this game. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was such bullshit. I, I think I waited a week before I could play it, and then all the reviews had already come out, and everybody said, yeah, this game sucks, so don't play it. So I, like, did the tutorial and then deleted it. It was pretty bad. Um, So, yeah, Mario Kart Tour, it's coming. It's not vaporware. Maybe we'll have it before the end of the year. I heard, like, a year and a half ago that they were also working on a Zelda game? I have no fucking clue what's going on with that, but whatever. Coming soon. Yeah, Looking I, forward to it. I wouldn't be surprised that when we get news that I'll hear news from Tony because any Zelda games that, they, that might be into at some point, he always tells me about. So, Last piece of follow-up, which is not really follow-up. It's kind of more of a mini-topic. <laughs> I mentioned on the last episode... I'd like to note, I'd like to note, this is supposed to be my episode here. Just saying. Just saying. I know. I know. I'm hijacking your episode. <laughs> At some point during the last episode, I mentioned I might be an owner of an iPhone XR. I am now an, <laughs> an owner of an iPhone XR. You forgot. I, no, I didn't forget. It's like, we really want to talk about this now? No, I, I just want to give first impressions. Yes, then in 30 minutes, we'll still be here giving first impression. I have three bullet points. Okay, that's good. Okay. Phone is slippery as fuck. Uh, I got a bumper in the mail recently. Uh, it's the Rhino Shield Crash Guard NX. Uh, it was recommended by Mike Hurley on another podcast like two years ago. It makes the phone significantly easier to hold and it nullifies the camera bump, which is great. Uh, your phone is about as thick as an iPhone SE. Perfectly acceptable, acceptable trade-off to me. I like it. I recommend it. Go check it out. It looks really nice. Uh, really, really nice. You're kind of tempting me right now, but still, I won't do it. But really nice. I'm trying to keep things fast. So I know, I know, I know. But you're yeah. right. I, I, I'm, I'm quite disappointed then. So this is going to be like the most question mark thing that I'm going to say about this phone. 
Okay. I feel like it's easier to get used to the size of the iPhone XR than it is to get used to the size of the iPhone 6. Yeah, you told me that this weekend. I'm like, I don't fucking understand. Like, literally, I can't understand that statement. And I, I can't explain it either. I just feel it. Where even at the end of my two years, well, I cut it a little bit short, but my almost two years with the iPhone 6, I felt like it was too big the whole time. Now, I still think it is too big, like, in my head. But when I am trying to use it, it's not as big of a deal. Hmm. Its size is not as big of a deal to my usage of it than the iPhone 6 was. Which, I don't know if it's just the bezels were fucking with me or whatever. Could be that. Because the screen now, like, it's like, you see so much more content because it's, like, nearly all screens. Yeah. That maybe that's that. And the other thing, of course, regarding that is I still have my iPhone SE like right here. It's like it's going to hit the mic. It's here. <laughs> uh, this phone is tiny as hell. Like I know it, I, like that's why I loved it. It seems like comically small now. And I know like everybody talks about that with regards to phones like, oh, we can't go back to small phones because look at how big the screen is. I think I still haven't really seen a big gain in usability with the iPhone XR larger screen. Like, I don't see the benefit in having a larger screen, but now I still have, like, this thing imprinted in my mind that, like, this phone is fucking tiny. I can't go back to that, even though, like, fundamentally, usage-wise, I feel no difference, Uh which is kind of weird. Although, the other d day, I did have, like, this moment. I was over at my mom's place, and she was on a website with one of those, like, uh, stupid, like, sign up for a newsletter, modal dialogues that pops up in the middle of the thing. And of course, I don't know what you mean. I have three right now in my face, but that's okay. The close button was unavailable on her screen because it was like off the viewport to the right. Whereas I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm on my big ass phone right now and uh, it's right here. The close button is right here. Maybe you should use a Mac or a big phone. Wow, wow, wow. I, I, I'm still flabbergasted about that comment, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I think you told me that like three days ago. I'm still like, really? That's so like anti you right now. What you're saying? It's like, it's I know. I'm ashamed of myself. Ah, oh, you should be. <laughs> I know. Okay, so the last comment I want to make about the iPhone XR, and then we can actually talk about NS North because I'm actually very curious to hear your thoughts on NS North. Is uh, Qi charging is great. Uh, one of the main things that made me want to switch away from the iPhone SE is I had an issue where my lending port was not charging reliably anymore. And I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me, oh, it's the thing with the blue pins, right? You're just going to have to get the lint out of there. Well, I did. And then the next day, it still went back to how it was. Ooh, man, that's bad. So I think the port is just dead or dying very quickly. So before I would wind up with a paperweight, like last the last week I owned it, I think three mornings I woke up and it wasn't charged. Uh, and I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to get a Qi charger that cannot be set up wrong. So I got uh, an anchor, like one of the little anchor docks that it actually sits on the thing. Mm -hmm. So it can't be out of position. And it's been charging perfectly reliably. It's been charging reasonably quickly. I mean, I'm I mostly charge my phone while I'm sleeping and not so much other times. So I'm perfectly satisfied with the state of Qi charging right now, and it works great with my case. So it lives up to the dream, 10 out of 10. <laughs> okay, then I guess we will see in future episodes how those uh, those initial impressions uh, stay around or not, or if they just like become like uh, 
like a weird uh, temporal moment in Yannick's brain, but uh, I'm eager to see it because uh, I haven't went to the store since the Tenar got released, so I never really see them in person. I think I've seen some of the people at work that have them, but like never played with them, never like touched them. Literally, I just like saw them on my like on, on a corner of an eye or something like that. You see what I mean? Uh, but uh, I'm eager to see, it, and especially you got the yellow one, so quite yeah. eager to see this color in person and it looks great with my black bumper like i think the off yellow color that they use on the rim directly on the aluminum looks bad but when you put a black bumper on it it just looks like construction sign like fuck yeah like it's bold <laughs> i like it it's very shibuya i love it go Good. for it so now that i'm done with my half hour of follow-up <laughs> oh my God, we can go true. and talk about ns north which sounds like it was a hell of a lot of fun it was. Now you're making me regret to take some time off to go enjoy, first of all, NS North and also go enjoy Vancouver, for example. But uh, because I worry that the next time we take some time off, we'll have even longer follow-up. But I digress. So let's jump into NS North. So uh, last time I talked about it on an episode was in 2015, so a long time ago. So it was funny when you said, oh, it's been a long time we since we talked about NS North last. And yes, it was. It was on episode 13. Um, so on that episode, I quickly talk about my experience about NS North 2015. Before, uh, Yannick and I spent two hours talking about our first impression of the Apple Watch. So that's why I was a bit worried that we, that will, that, uh, the 10R will, and first impression will transform into that episode. And also this made me realize that it does mean that we're about four years away since the original launch of the Apple Watch or receiving our Apple Watch, not the launch. So that, that's crazy. Like time, time flies. That's so crazy. Yep. But Tonight's episode is going to be a bit different. Uh, a bit different compared to that one, but it will be more akin to the last two episodes Yannick and I did about WWDC where we recap and dissect sections. Of course, tonight, because those sections are not, uh, those, uh, those sessions are not publicly available, uh, yet, I would say, uh, you, it might, will be kind of a recap plus highlights of some of the presentation done, uh, during the 2019 edition. But before I go into that, I just kind of want to talk about the conference, its history, and its format. So let's jump into its history. So this year in 2019 was, uh, NS North's fifth edition. The the last edition was in 2016. I'm surprised that I didn't do an episode about it, but I looked at our back catalog and I did not. And of course, uh, the one before that was 15, which I, dis- I discussed in episode 13. Uh, 14 was the first one I personally attended, and 2013 was the first ever NS North edition. The first two ones were held in Ottawa, uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, 2015 was in Montebello, Quebec, also in Canada. Uh, 2016 was in the big city of Toronto. And right now they've decided to, uh, for to the 2019 to go to Montreal. So for me, that like the last time I've attended a conference that was iOS slash Mac slash Apple related was in 2014 with the last edition of Singleton. And let me tell you, attending a conference in your hometown is just so fun and so simple. Um, mm-hmm. 
there's like you could say that some when you go to attend a conference you might reside in a hotel near it so it's easier for some of stuff but it's so fun even if you come back late to just go in your home just chill out and then go back to your stuff and then go back to see your uh, your developer friends the next morning but like end up in your own bed at night and not traveling so the only traveling i had to do and it's funny because where it was held here in montreal at uh, theatre saint james is about 15 minute walk away from work so i nearly had to go to work for a weekend if you see what i mean by that uh, Teot St. James, by the way, is an amazing place. I'll put a link of picture in the show notes, but it's an old bank building. Uh, I think it was owned by the Bank of Canada, BMO, Bank of Montreal. I forget. I'm sure in the link there will be more historical data. I'm bad at historical data, but, uh, funnily enough, we held one of our, uh, Christmas party at Lightspeed there a couple of years back, and I really, really love this place because it is amazingly beautiful i think the ceilings like it's a the big typical arc ceiling that you can see in a like a quote-unquote traditional old bank building uh, i'm sure when you see photos of it you'll realize what i mean because i'm sure you've seen this type of bank architecture in any uh big blockbuster movie at some point uh in your life so imagine doing a conference there it is amazing and beautiful so this year, there was a lot of different topics as usual. So NS North is a single track conference, meaning that all attendees will follow the same session at, at the same time and of course in one track so unlike conferences like we talk like uh, the big example would be uh, WWC where there's multiple track at the same time and if you want to attend uh, two sessions at the same time slot that might be hard unless you invented cloning so uh, all of the single track mean that all the people were, are attending the same session and those were varied with their topics examples are AR kit accessibility, working remotely, growing teams and businesses, subscription, how to you uh, a history about Easter eggs in apps, and a lot more. As you can see, NS North is well varied in the type of session and presentation that they offer to their attendees. And it is not like pure technical and also not pure like either networking or aspirational. It is a mix of all of this, all related under a same umbrella topic that is iOS, a Mac app development, and also businesses, how to run those businesses that are mainly offering either app services or products to customers uh, and the like. So like I said, uh, there, this year there was nine, uh, 14 presentation, nine blitz talks, or you might have heard from, uh, I might have heard, uh, uh, it being called in other conferences, lightning talks. Uh, the idea that, uh, here the organizer, Phil and Dan do with the blitz talk are that those talks are five minutes long and you have 20 slides and each of them have 15 seconds so they auto increment uh, they auto roll while you talk so you need to make sure that you're fast and concise on the stuff you talk and those are uh, done by people that submitted a presentation versus a presenter that are hired or like poached by the organizer so it was really by people from the community that really wanted to uh, speak at the conference 
Other activities during the conference, uh, there's another fun activity that they've started in 2016 that they've repeated uh, this year too. It's called Keynote Karaoke. So, uh, Philippe, uh, build a Mac app that is quite interesting. So they download a lot of uh, PDFs from slide decks, random P- video PDF of slide decks from people on the internet. And they just put the PDF and they just do random slides from the slide deck and you just need to like improv on the slide deck in front of a live audience. I've done it in 2016. Uh, there was, it was super fun and super stressful, but also super fun. Uh, I've seen a lot of people doing it this year too. And that is an amazing activity to do during the conference. Are there ever troll slide decks? Um, you mean like there are like, uh, in, like they were put by the organizer just to have like a little bit of more fun. I don't think so, but, uh, I might, uh, speak outside of my comfort zone here i will Um, put a link in the show notes to chicken 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 which is my favorite slide deck of all time oh my goodness maybe i should send it to uh philippe so maybe yes feature it yes and that's not the addition that you could uh introduce it i I guess the slides are all saying the word chicken you'll have to see okay okay so um like the Blitz Talk, uh, Kino Karaoke is uh, intertwined uh, during one of the time slots uh, during one of the days. Also, on Saturday, there's two important things. Uh, at night, so the, the conference and the, the conference talks ends around 4, depending on who each year, like maybe 4, 4.30. And after that, there's a group activity. Um, and it varies from year to year. And after the group activity, usually the group activity is a good excuse to help the, uh, the organizing team to clean up the main venue and transform it into a banquet dinner room. So this year, the activity was to go to Montreal, the old port, uh, for the the 375 anniversary a couple of years back, the city of Montreal uh, installed a big Ferris wheel uh, on the St. Lawrence River shore in the old port of Montreal and the activity was to go uh, on it and uh, see the have a like it's mostly uh for sighting purposes you really like have a grand, nice view on the mont royal you also have a nice view on the whole all the port all the city so it was a fun activity to do um and from what i heard it's quite expensive so it was fun that it was included but this week i've heard that so my one of my colleagues uh have a small uh cheap local uh tariff that is only for uh available during the week so uh still but it was a good activity to do and a good opportunity for uh tony and i because uh ns north is open uh, is open to have more people at the banquet because you can have uh banquet tickets a banquet only tickets so tony joined us for that activity and for the banquet on saturday and after the banquet ends the they usually do a board game night or like they mostly have uh, activities in the conference room. I know some people then go out or just people go back to sleep because it was a big day. And uh, then we go on the Saturday and we have the remaining of the activities intermixed with some of the remaining uh, blitz talk. So as you can see, the format is single track, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like in- activities in between all of it to make sure that not only you're you are like, uh, you can like comfo- comf- concentrate on all the different presentation, but also have a different mix of activities. And the main reason why is to make sure you can 
meet amazing people that are attending because NSNOT is not a big conference and it is by design. One of the big, the main goal for NSNOT is to make sure that you mingle with others, you meet with people, you meet, uh, have great discussion, whether they're like personal, like about hobbies or about tech or about your work. So the conference is built around making sure that you mingle with others and there's like opportunities to do that and it's not just you go sit enjoy the uh, presenters that are amazing but it's also the attendees are amazing too and for that uh i have uh, i love that throughout the years i think that the the, the first rule i would say that it, phil and dan have introduced rules to help that and make that more natural with the attendees one of them is to make sure they say like after a couple of sessions, there's always a, you do two sessions, there's a break, there's two sessions, there's a break. They always invite you to just change table because the way most of their uh, event are organized is they have like round tables, uh, in the conference section in the main area. So they invite you to move around and they are open. Like they remind you during the break. Don't forget you should move around tables to meet new people and have different discussions. And a new rule that they found on the internet, I'll be uh, put uh, a link on the show notes. It is called the Pac-Man rule. So imagine you are out with a fr- you with your friends. Usually, when you just like hanging out around, standing up, usually end up in a circle. Like all the people are like talking to each other. You end up kind of doing a blob in the middle of a room where there's a lot of people. And the the idea of the Pac-Man rule is. Don't make a full circle, make a Pac-Man and where the mouth of the Pac-Man is, leave it open to make it more welcoming for a new person to join the group and, uh, not feel for that, and for that person to not feel too shy to maybe break the circle by leaving this opening. It makes it more welcoming for a person to join the conversation or maybe a new person that wants to talk to you and introduce themselves and they may be shy or a bit more introverted than you. So you help them mingle and uh, network with others. And of course, when somebody comes in, you don't leave the circle closed. You make the the Pac-Man grow bigger and bigger and make sure there's always an opening for that. So uh, maybe my description is a bit weird. Once you see the tweet that I'll put in the show notes, um, you'll better understand. The tweet was uh, from Dylan Beatty. Uh, and he, the main reason it was from him, it's because it, the Pac-Man rule was invented by Eric Holster, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, and he did uh, animation, and that's what they linked in the video. They started the conference, it's kind of starting to explain some of the rules, and they played that exact video that was posted on Twitter. So I really love this rule because it's really a way to make sure that everybody feels included, even if you see a group of friends uh, or maybe some of the presenters that you want to talk to them. Uh, and so maybe uh, quite intimidating to go see them just like random like this, but it helps you to get that first move and kind of break the ice. Last point I want to talk about NSNote itself and before we go to the presentation is one thing that I really love that NSNote is doing and not only NSNote, but they do diversity sponsorship and tickets. So when you bought your ticket, you could contribute into a jar that is for diversity tickets and those tickets were given at random. So people could come and say, oh, I want to be part of the people that could be 
that could win one of those diversity tickets. I know Lightspeed as a company, we contributed to one of those full contribu- uh, uh, diversity tickets. But the idea is they keep that open. And I'll know, I know also in the opening of the conference, they mentioned that people that didn't even come to an SNORT, whether they have personal reason, I don't, they don't mention it, but they just say like, we will name those people because those people didn't buy a ticket. They just put money in the diversity sponsorship to make sure that people that have not all not uh, they didn't have the needs to go but wanted to go and they are from the minority diversity make sure they could go so it's something that uh, phil and i have been doing for years and i really happy that that every year to make sure that more diverse people are included and have the opportunity to go see an amazing conference like ns north even if they don't have the maybe the financial need to go so now that you have a better idea of what is NSNort, let's talk about some of the presentation. Um, usually, uh, even this year they do that. So usually they start the first night. What happens on the Friday night? It is a keynote. And usually that's where they get, uh, big names. Like even if you, like you'll see throughout the, the episode, you'll see that I mean some big people you might know from the Apple, uh, iOS development community. Uh, big names that have attended and did keynotes in the past. Uh, I remember, uh, Georgia Dow from iMore that did a present, a keynote in 2015. Oh, I forgot if it was 2015, 2016. Uh, no, it was, 2016. I digress. But, uh, and also, they, uh, Phil and Dan poached Dan Melton a couple of years back to do the opening keynote of the conference. And this year's opening keynote presenters were Scan Kashenda from Apple again. And he came to NSNR to talk about his experience at Apple and really talking about all of his stories. And the title of his of his keynote was Elements, Molecule, and Alchemy, an insider story of building the iPhone, obviously, uh, by Ken. And it was kind of his retrospective, I would say, on his own experience about him building great technology for the original iPhone. A good example of that is he was the one that built the iPhone keyboard. And it's kind of, uh, the way he explained it and, and kind of put this keynote presentation I have as, as a teaser for his book saying that it's kind of a, a lot of what he described here in his presentation is a teaser for his book and the idea here is he feels that there's kind of after reflecting of his own experience it's kind of seven elements that teams that make big project big ideas happen have and those seven elements are inspiration collaboration craft Diligence, decisiveness, taste, and then petty. Uh, and like some members might have more and some other members have like, have strength in different of these elements. But what happens with these elements is they kind of create molecules when you mix them. And the idea between those molecules is like, oh, but if you want to have vision, to have vision, you need the inspiration and then the decisive nectar to impact it and he was always explaining all of these like elements and molecule with a lot of stories that he have for apple a good story that he mentioned is again how his keyboard came to be and why his keyboard is more or less apple had a big hackathon or just like a the best keyboard will win type of situation. And a lot of people like contributed and said, like, oh, let's try this idea for the iOS keyboard, software keyboard. And in the end, what happened is like just Ken's idea won. And it won kind of a, on a weird tangent because 
he said that they were supposed to all the key different keywords they were supposed to be committed in one repo at the end because they didn't want to fiddle with the demo like i'm sure if you've heard a lot of the apple internal stories from ex apple employees like apple is really big on demos and you'll see later in this presentation uh ken was talking a lot about demos demos it's important to demo to each other and then have somebody that is um that is takes action at the end of the demo but in this case here the idea was to say we'll build one app to make the demo more fluid. So all the peoples put your all the keyboard, like submit your keyboard to this one person. This one person will take it to put it in one app. And at the end, they would like, once the, like, I think it was once, um, Scott's first of all came, like we'll have one app and there's just like toggle between all the keyboards. But for, uh, I don't think I, think I remember exactly this, but for an unreal reason that I forgot, his keyboard was not included because I think it was not already on time. I think it's that like simple. It was just not ready on time. They didn't submit it at the end and, and da da da. So it ended up like then the demo day happens and then Scott comes, plays with all the keyboard and he's like, I'm, nah, he's unsure. And then he's like, is that it? And he's like, no, there's mine. And then the colleague that was in charge of saying, uh, of, of saying like, oh yeah, that's all the keyboard. Like it was, she was like, uh, dude, you forgot to include your keyboard. So. And that's kind of how he is keyboard one is because he said no. And then he punched on the machine to make sure that he can use his own stuff. What they didn't want it to do, like making sure that in between each demo, they don't have that much like setup time. But in the end, because he kind of like, because he saw that Scott was kind of, uh, unreceptive to the, uh, the people stuff and took the opportunity to say that. And that's how he won because Scott was like, Oh, I like this keyboard. So you're in charge. Bye-bye. And he's gone. Classic Scott Forstall move. Yeah, yeah. That's and, why we love him. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where uh, Ken was like talking about also making sure that you have DRI, which are directly responsible individual. Because he says, uh, in my, throughout my experience at Apple, Apple is super strong on DRIs, making sure you are responsible for this. You know you're responsible for this. We know we're responsible for this. So we'll come see you. We don't talk about that. And then you make sure that those people... Like if they're if they are responsible for one thing, they should do one thing. And at that point, uh, Ken Kanchetta became the DRI on the keyboard. He was doing the keyboard. He had the he had the job to do the keyboard, and that's why he became the keyboard person for uh, Apple for a long time, especially for the first iPhone. A funny story during his presentation: he pulled out an original iPhone 2G. It was not turned on, by the way, or I don't see he didn't press on it but just pull it out of his pocket uh, I asked Steve Jobs during the presentation I was like wow um, I'm reminiscent of that phone so it was really interesting because his presentation was really about his experience so at the same time I, after talking with others some people were saying like it's great but I wonder if there it's kind of easy to come to those like oh we add those seven elements that make us a great team or what what made the iPhone great? Why the iPhone was so great? And what, why was that? And he kind of started with this question and ended up with is seven elements, then you're merely cool. But he started by saying, it's not because why was the iPhone great? It was not because of this. It was like, what did we do as a team that made, that made the creation of the iPhone? So it was quite interesting. And it, like I said, it was a big 
teaser for his book. He says uh, at the end of his presentation that uh, was up, I think, an hour and 15 minutes. He's going to say like, oh, if you want more of those insider stories, I have more in my book. So go read my book if you haven't read my book, which I think is, is, is something I'll end up doing. I didn't really read his book before, not because I was not interested, mainly because I'm not a big book person. But after seeing his presentation, I feel that I should really focus and try to, first of all, buy it and then uh, make sure that I spent maybe a couple of days in the next few weeks to read it. I don't have that plan, but that was really my feeling at the end. Like I kind of, it was a great teaser and all of this, like making sure you mix your elements. And I can give you another example of those molecules that he was talking about, uh, like momentum is a mix of craft and diligence and inventiveness it's a mix of inspiration and craft and it was really giving you examples throughout his experience of like why does he think that those are important to achieve great things Hmm. yeah i'm a sucker for those kinds of books because i'm just fascinated with like workflows and productivity and all that stuff and team building and all of that stuff because I'm always trying to look for how can we better our processes and all that stuff. Um, but the one thing that worries me about excerpts of those kinds of books is what if that's the best story in the book? Then you're not really going to get... And, and that's sort of my worry with his book is that I don't really see what else there could be that could top being the iPhone keyboard in terms of stories. And like, yeah, there are going to be like smaller, still interesting, but not quite as interesting stories in the book. But like, I feel like that's the big piece and he's given it for free and like not necessarily for free as in you can read it for free, but we've heard so much about it through podcasts, interviews, excerpts on the web, his talk that I'm like, well, is there anything left for us to salvage from this book? Which is kind of a worrisome thing sometimes with these kinds of books. Yeah, that I can explain like the, like, I, I don't, there's nothing negative about, about my next comment, but like, this kind of presentation is kind of a part of the book tour, if you see what I mean, right? Yeah. Because you wrote the book. It's not really about the book tour, but it's a lot of the content of the book and make sure that the content of the book itself goes to different type of people like because the people that buy all those books they already bought it and read it right because it didn't make some hints about like oh for people that read the book it's like like it's kind of not this section but it's like we talked about this in the book yeah and the other thing is like it's weird because they're both apple related books to some degree um there was a similar thing that happened to me last year when uh lisa brennan jobs book Mm. small fry came out and there was a an excerpt that was published and I was very concerned that that was going to be like the big excerpt of the juicy part of the book and there would be no reason to buy the book. Uh, and sometimes listening to interviews and uh, other stuff from the author, you can get a sense that, oh, no, 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 this is just like it is actually just an excerpt and there's a lot of other meat in this book. Whereas I've never gotten that impression from Ken Koshiendo's public appearances and all of that stuff which is kind of a red flag for me but i i mean i i will admit that 100 percent the reason that i have not read any of these books is because i kind of would rather read them on a kindle and i don't own a kindle that works anymore so i would need to get a kindle because i don't want to read on my phone or my ipad but mm. eh. and i don't want to buy the books 
the physical books that yeah that's it i i don't have the space for physical books hashtag con marie <laughs> but yeah uh as a whole too if i now talk about the presentation itself like it felt really apple like you see that ken was well trained at apple about giving presentations uh it's funny though i was talking with a friend of the show chuck which is also my colleague um he kind of reminded me which i forgot that ken did a lot of uh wdc presentation and he said that some of his latest wdc presentation before he left apple was kind of about the content of that presentation about like how to make sure that your team evolves make sure how to make sure that uh, what makes great teams and kind of talk about apple experience so it feels that it is kind of in this kind of his not tradition but kind of his line of already like apple presentation that he's done like he's done that at apple now he's now he's gone of apple he's also doing that outside of it uh, yeah, I, I think I've seen it. some of those. Yeah, and it seems that some of those might have been done by Ken while he was at Apple. Uh, this is somewhat unrelated, but you just talking about this presentation made me think about it. Uh, a good documentary came out about ex-Apple engineers uh, this week, uh, which you might be interested in watching if this sounds interesting to you. It's uh, completely unrelated it's about the x-band which was a modem for the super nintendo and the genesis in the early 90s to play games online mm-hmm. uh which sounds like it has nothing to do with apple except <laughs> it's a bunch of x QuickTime people who worked on it Ooh. and if you're looking for how apple values can influence a completely not apple like product uh definitely go check it out it's an hour long it's on the wrestling with gaming uh youtube channel and it's very good i actually sent it to the simple beep guys because i thought like this is very much in your wheelhouse and if you like this kind of story it could be very interesting as well good so I'll go to the next presentation I want to talk about and uh, something I forgot to mention at the opening of the presentation section is I'll be mentioning all those presentations not in presentation order during the weekend nor in favorite order. So all of these are uh, highlights of the conference. If I'm not talking about some of the presentations, not that I didn't like presentation I'm not mentioning today, but I feel that to me, were those presentations were the most beneficial. That's where I learned the most, or that was the most interesting for me. Uh, but as a whole, like NS North brings a lot of amazing presenters, and it's like all the presentations are great. So it's hard to say like which one is the best when everything is great or amazing. Just because something stands out doesn't mean the rest is bad. Exactly. So I just want to make that clear. But to me, those are my uh, highlights. The one that I like, because sometimes that's a kind of a question when we network people like, oh, what do you like the most right now? It's like, I had like four sessions to talk to you about. It's like, if you really want my opinion, then like four of these are already in my show notes for uh, talking about today. So it was, uh, I got some weird look when people say, what's your favorite session? I like this one. I like that one, that one too, that one too. And the next one, I've decided to change the order a bit, but the next one is not a session, but it is three sessions. Uh, in theory, two, but bear with me, three. And the it, multiverse of sessions. Yes, and you'll see why. It's because those three to me fits in all of in under the accessibility topic. Uh. So the first one was called Alleyoop, which is going to have a play of a word. You'll see when I run it, it's A1111Y-Oop, which is a play on the Alleyoop uh, 
technique at basketball and the A111Y, which is the acronym for accessibility. Uh, but the title is Alleyoop, adding new f- accessibility feature in a not-so-new app by Elena Kafkes. Voice over on by Lena Mansour and understanding speech approaches to voice input in iOS apps by Christina Moulton. So that's why, like, as you can see in the name, like the first two ones were like really accessibility. But the more you think about it, voice is also for input a form of accessibility. And it's kind of a different form of accessible input depending of how you are able as a human to input stuff on a computer. So that's why I regrouped them. And the main reason why those were uh, an highlight for me is because like these days I work with our ass app, like the, especially the first one with Ali Up is like, we are working on an app that is five and a half years old. Uh, in the past, it was hard to think about accessibility features. We're doing a big changes in the app. So it's time to revalidate this, make sure that we're not going too far away from Apple stuff or like revalidating past design or code decision to make sure that we're working on the new functionality we want to do. But at the same time, it's like, can we move, can we move the bar higher on? the way our app is accessible at the same time. So we are having a lot of discussion already at work and to get those topics that were full of information about accessibility features or how to change an app was quite interesting. So let's start with Elena's presentation. Elena is an an iOS engineer at uh, Mediums and she was talking about all the accessibility features that they've added and make the how they evolve the uh, medium app to be more accessible. So it was a mix of really showing you code and kind of architecture decision that the team, the I, the mobile team at Medium did versus like how should you tackle accessible feature. One of the our key points was that. Accessible feature are born from system thinkings and teamworks. So it's really important that like it comes for the whole team. One of the big points for us is like it should come from one individual. It should come for especially don't come for the maybe the visually impaired individual. It should come from the whole team because accessible apps mean different things for different people and at different uh different scale. Uh she the all of these thoughts kind of referred uh, this concept of uh, I've seen a tweet a couple of years ago. I'm sure it got around, but kind of the scale of accessibility. You might be like a well, like you have all your four members, person, but like to tomorrow you break your arm. So you're like temporarily unable to use your arm. So you might need temporarily some of those accessibility features, but there are some people that will need them for their whole life. It doesn't mean that it's because you're unable to do something that you'll need accessibility. You might need accessibility for different reasons, just for taste or for just because it's for more comfortable for you. Or it's because you like it this way or it is because you have a, like a temporary impediment or like sadly you're unable to do something because you, you have one arm, for example, or you can't see. So all of these discussion, they were all mentioned in these talks and that was quite interesting. I can think of another reason, which is really going to sound dumb, but it's totally true. As someone who hangs on to iOS devices for a really long time, 
can also be for performance reasons. Uh, you can go into accessibility and turn off transparency and your iPad suddenly becomes usable again. Uh, <laughs> so yes. that's a thing too. So um, another important takeaway that she brought to us uh, during our presentation was, and that kind of goes back to some of the discussion we're having right now, is leverage existing system and design patterns. iOS does a lot for free. Don't reinvent the wheel because you might be hurting yourself. Like maybe it's for it to look better or look the way your designer wants it to look. But you don't realize that there's so much that iOS does for you that you break by going custom that you should use, reuse those system elements. You should reuse the design patterns that Apple is doing because those has been tested to also be accessible for a different variety of users. And you should make use of that and not spend the time redoing that because if you're a sm- if you're not Apple, you might have had all the money to do that or all the time to do that or all the people and the resources to do that. And I think what people who aren't iOS developers don't necessarily realize is if you go into Xcode and you uh, decide to make a new app with storyboards, more or less, and you drag in UI controls that are pretty much standard UI controls, with very little tweaking, your application can be completely usable with someone who is using it through voiceover, for example, or other accessibility features like that, which is not necessarily the case when you decide, I'm going to rewrite UI navigation bar today, and then <laughs> people who are using voiceover cannot do shit in your app anymore. I think, seriously, I think the in, in the example you mentioned with storyboards and stuff, they're just using, if you don't use image for buttons everything comes for free yeah like the the one thing you'd have to add is like an accessibility description for your image buttons and yes you'd be pretty much usable and that would be mainly it so like that is a good and sometimes something we forget right oh we want to do that because it looks good but yeah might not look quote-unquote look good for a certain portion of the users something that does also make me think that and one the uh, one of the uh, important takeaways is mentioned was use app-wise accessibility work as an opportunity to make other improvements. And the way she was mentioning is like some of the refactoring she had to, they had to do at Medium to bring some of the functionality because it's a reading app, right? Like it, whether you like Medium or not, I don't really care. But by it being a reading app, I think it imposes a lot of those like accessibility features or accessibility needs like face-to-face like a lot of people have different tastes for how they should read text on a screen and only that makes you take different decisions there's people that can't read certain colors on the screen because they don't see them or they can't read the screen because they don't see the screen you need to listen to what is shown on the screen if you see what i mean and we'll talk about that in the next section with voiceover but all of that is like you since they did a lot of improvements and did a lot of refactoring in their whole app architecture, it helped them be more future-proof for some of the new features they wanted to do, but also think about what they wanted to do next and make sure that what they're doing right now could be evolved later, whether it's for new feature or even for new accessibility features. So it was a good mix of like showing architecture and showing how they did some of it with some like presentation, some uh, provider patterns, code samples, plus like general ideas and uh, tips about 
all to make your app more accessible. Now we move to the next position from Lina Mansour, which was titled VoiceOver On. Like uh, like the, your phone loves to say when you turn VoiceOver On. Uh, so Lina starts quite big on her presentation because she says, okay, so uh, for me to better understand what's the experience of VoiceOver, I'm giving myself a seven-day challenge called VoiceOver. I'll be using VoiceOver with display turned off for seven days. I've thought about doing that in the past. And she's been pretty honest and she's like, yeah, now that's the day. <laughs> and the main reason, and then she starts to explain why she lasted the day. Because mainly she went all in. She was so, after this, she was so lost that she kind of needed to have training. And that's why I realized, oh, maybe I should have done the tutorial. Maybe I should kind of like learn more about how to use the functionality. Once she learned about those functionalities, she was really kind of mind blown about the powerfulness of voiceover and different, uh, like different other tools that, uh, uh, are attached to voiceover that, uh, it made her realize that some of the considerations she had about how to test her own apps for voiceover support were completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So four common frustration that she had before that now she has a better understanding of. The first one was like, like four common frustration that apps that poorly supports voiceover, excuse me, have that she now better understand. Also, she wants to advocate for is all of your items are all of your items accessible and features accessible through voiceover. Because let's say that you're like, I don't know, your uh, notes apps and you cannot save a note via voiceover that's kind of shitty for your uh, visually impaired users that they can they can they'll spend like maybe an hour dictating text and making sure that like all the notes like they're well aligned they're like bullet point to make sure like everything is fine and then you can say save and it doesn't save right so making sure that you don't block function important functionality uh for voiceover user is uh a big challenge because a lot of these a lot of the apps these days are built not using apple technology so there might be kind of a hybrid between the web and native so some portion of the app might be completely inaccessible because they're built in a different technology so be wary of that and also a lot of non-native technology when we're talking a lot of we have a lot to say Yannick and I about non-native technology on ios oh yes but i think if there's one thing you need to think about it is by using that, you might end up losing some customers, not because they don't like it. It's because they can't use your app. Because some of those technology are completely ignoring or really broken when they want to be used over voiceover, for example. They don't support it at all or like really break it. Like a good example I can think of is, uh, what's the Microsoft thing? You know, I forgot the name. Uh, Xamarin. Oh, yeah. If you're using Xamarin to write an iOS app in C Sharp, we've talked about in the past how, yeah, maybe we don't necessarily agree with it, but fundamentally all it is is really just kind of a language translation layer, and your application is still more or less a native iOS app. It's just written in C Sharp. And everything you can accomplish with um, with uh, Coco's Coco Touch's own uh, accessibility description and all of those like accessibility attributes on objects, you can still do in 
uh, in Xamarin. It might be a little bit more effort to do them, but you're still able to do them. Whereas if you're using Flutter, which is Google's cross-platform UI framework, which launched this week at Google I.O. officially with like desktop, uh, web, mobile, I think smartwatch and like embedded displays, the support there, and this is what the Google apps on iOS are written in, by the way, um, there is less built-in support for accessibility and maybe the support is more uniform to what's supported on all of the platforms that Flutter supports and not supporting the whole breadth of what's available on iOS. Oh, yeah, and, and you kind of bring me to one of our uh, unexpected learning, which was also one of my expected learning from it, too, is did you know that there's an, a UI element or a UI behavior that is called the voiceover router? Router? Yeah, no, rotor, like R-O-T-O-R. Sorry for the pronunciation. But it, it is a wheel, like kind of a click wheel, like from the iPod, with different actions on it. And there's like, the, like maybe there's the copy action, there's the pace, or there's like the go back. But you can define your own custom action because one of the button on this uh, voiceover rotor uh, is called custom. And your app can expose quick action in that rotor that the user, I think they, they do two, they do, first of all, they do two tap and then they, they hold the second tap and then they start like rotate like a old, like, like rotary phone. And then it yeah, click, yeah. click, click, and it clicks, clicks and tells you like a like, copy, paste and then custom action. So it's kind of like assistive touch. Yeah. But for voiceover. Yeah. With the, wow, weird... that might actually be more useful than assistive touch. Yeah. I, like it was really mind built by that functionality. And that was like to go back to uh, your last one about like stuff that might, that might have support or uh, be half big is like that is from what I've seen in our presentation, the, you need to use UI accessibility custom action as an API. It is more or less like kind of a, I think the best way to compare it is maybe a bit like, um, Custom, uh, uh, keyboard shortcut, excuse me. You define a keyboard shortcut and then you say, call the selector on the subject and it calls it. Same thing with this is like, what's the name of the custom action? And then where should I exit, call, send the message that for that action to execute? And that's it. So it's super simple to add. And I think she was saying that, uh, the, the swipe, the swipe action that they do on table view cell, like in mail, like to, do uh okay, send transfer all of that stuff they are not exposed by that so the user don't have to do the swipe because they don't see that they need to do a swipe they just use those custom action and they have access to those quick actions too that makes a lot of sense it was super crazy so a good example of something that might not be full that yes you might be able to be able to, the non-native apps could be able to be read from voiceover but not fully integrated with a lot of nice functionality yeah, there used to be a thing in the HIG. I don't know if it's still there because the iPhone 10 sort of contradicts all of that. But uh, for a while, the HIGs used to say, like, if you have a feature that's available in your application, try to make it available through ways that are not gestural, uh, mm. which is why you see where the issue with the iPhone 10 and sort of <laughs> iPad multitasking comes in. It's like it is entirely gestural in nature. But uh, whatever. The uh, Sure. Um but the nice thing about this is you can have features that are easily and quickly available within gestural navigation and are still quickly available for accessibility users, whereas normally that would not be the case. Good. Uh, next common frustration. Um, don't, and, and that one was a bit weird, but now if you think about it, 
it goes back to my scale of saying like different accessibility purposes. Don't forget that some voiceover users are also visual users. Doesn't mean that you use voiceover that you can't see. You might use it because it's easier for you to use it this way because you might need to put your iPod and or your iPhone, excuse me, in front of your face, like a two centimeter away from your eyes to see, but you can still see stuff. So there's different assumptions that you have to do regarding that. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you use voiceover that you really can see. It might be you, it might be used with the screen on and not the screen off. So that's important to note. Another case I've heard quite a lot about is people dyslexia. Like some apps have dyslexic fonts, but mm. you can also just use voiceover and have it told to you. Right. And that would, that would be an example. A perfect example is, you might be more comfortable, more uh, you be maybe easier for you to understand by being told what's happening and not read what's happening, even if you can read it. Yeah. A uh, good misconception is like grouping your label. If you have like kind of forms where it says like name and then says text, uh, text uh, like the, your name, make sure that it says name locally. That it doesn't do those weird pause because it sees the name label as one element and then the text field with the name uh, as a different element yes they are they are a form they are two different things one is actionable or not but they kind of like they make sense that name read the value not just name awkward pause because if you use a uh, voiceover you see or just flick because you need to go to the next element it says name flick look at the city flick montreal like make sure that stuff that is that needs to be grouped and make sense to be grouped and are maybe visually grouped together that are also grouped vocally together. Uh, last point that it sounds weird when you think about it, but it's also true. Some things are better left said, uh, left, better left unsaid or said differently because they are relying on voice. Context is everything. Like it's easy for your eyes to see a lot of context at one time. When you need to wait for like being told all the context, you need to make sure that either you remove stuff that is unnecessary for the user to quickly understand where they are, or you need to say it differently so they can quickly understand again what they should do or what they, uh, where they are. Uh, yeah. And uh, if I go uh, quickly at the end on the error, uh, expected learnings from our challenges with voiceover and our more learning of the APIs. Depending of some of user might or might not use Braille screen readers and it could affect a bit your, not your app performance, but, uh, the way they would interact with your, their iPhone. So like it's an assumption, you shouldn't assume as make the assumption that your users are only using the phone. They might use external devices to improve their iPhone experience. I talked about the, uh, voice over rotor and uh, UI accessibility custom action API. And last but not least, I think this one has been making it around Twitter, but still, don't forget that if you use the official Twitter app, there's a new caption, GIF, and uh, image description that you can enable. So when you tweet and you include an image, you can write a caption yourself. So when somebody use the Twitter app and they see the image, then your caption is read to them so they understand that it is an animated gif about a dog that is doing something fun funny and not just an empty tweet what's weird about this api is that i think 
you can read the captions in any Twitter client, but you can only write them in the official Twitter app, which is kind of asynchronous. I wouldn't be surprised that you need to use official. I wouldn't be even surprised that you need to use official Twitter client to read it too. But now, if you if it's available for third party apps, that's nice. I mean, I see them on the client I use on Windows at work. So oh, okay, that's good to know. I didn't know about that, but it's sad that yes, it is not a right for everybody. And of course, the last captain obvious, but. I've seen personally that some apps don't do that and also some of the apps I work on that don't do that. But <laughs> uh, the two final takeaways on this uh, presentation is make sure your element order makes sense to the user. It might not make sense visually how it's read, but it makes more sense for quick action and quick interaction. And also, last but not least, be a voiceover user yourself. By filling the pain, you'll better understand what people using though, using voiceover will feel while using your app. A last presentation, like I said, that is kind of like related to accessibility, but more about understanding speech, like the title says, is uh, from Christina. And this is where she described all the difference, all the different way you can use voice as input in your app. So she talked about Siri shortcut. She talked about all the voice recognition that could happen using Apple APIs. Uh, some of them can have local parsing if you include third-party stuff. Uh, she talked a lot about how to use SF speech recognizer uh, that require, it's not, it is voice recognition, but it's not local parsing because it requires uh, an internet connection to give you back the string. But then you can have a parsing, a string parsing library to uh, get context and uh, information out of those strings. Or you can fully rely on third-party chatbot SDKs like the uh, the Amazon products that there that drives Alexa that you need in the app. Like there's a lot. Uh, Google has the same. Microsoft has the same these days. Uh, but all of this is this is like really to build new uh, user experiences based on voice. There's a lot of tr- consideration and trade-offs that you need to make. Um, especially like, are you connected to the internet? Can you parse it locally? Uh, do you need third-party libraries to parse? Are you sending sensitive content to, to maybe some of those third-party libraries that now are a privacy concerns for you? Um, is there a limitation you can't or can't do? So your shortcut could be an example. You need to make sure that you read the exact sentence you recorded to make sure that your one action is executing. And you can say, like, if you say, I want uh, order me one coffee. If you say, order me two coffee, it might not do that for you. I might not understand what you meant because of the limitation of the API. So this one was really about all the new ways you can use or all the different ways you can use voice as input. But to me, knowing about all of these makes you think about different user interaction you can include in the app to make your app maybe even more accessible for all users. Uh, even if it's trying to be more um trying to kind of like reinvent Siri in your app or reinvent Alexa in your app, but that makes it uh, accessible. Next presentation, I have two ones I want to go quick, uh, three ones I want to go semi-quick. The first one is called An Illustrated History of Easter Eggs by James Thompson. Um, So James started his uh, his story talking about how he started to learn about programming and uh, uh, about computer software, which was about the people that were making the games or the software he was playing. So he goes a lot of big history about all the Easter eggs that you can find in uh, different software, including video games, including Apple software. Uh, he spent a lot of time about 
the uh, credit screen that you could possibly find in Finder or in macOS. I had a lot of fun with those back in the day. Yeah, uh, so I, that's why I want to go quick with it because this one was a visual one, so it would be hard to talk on podcast. But the kind of his uh, end takeaway on this, uh, his main takeaway on his presentation was like, have fun. Do Easter eggs in your software. Don't be too strict like Apple and like, no, like just go have fun and just do it. And of course he did mention, yeah, if you don't know what James Thompson, uh, Thompson is the creator of Peacock and he created them uh, as an Easter egg for his credit screen. Um, like a video game and a VR, an AR game too at the same time. So, uh, he had quite a lot of fun with it and he should, he is inviting you to do so. Uh, and also, like, part of this illustrated history, since he worked at Apple, it was also his own goal to, at some point, end up in one of those credit screen. And I won't spoil it, but there's a funny story about that. So I hope that once the video gets out, or if the video gets out, excuse me, that uh, you should go watch it because it is a nice, uh, trip down memory lane about Apple software in general, too. Next presentation, which was a lot of good tips about privacy first app designs was called ship ship it safe by guillermo rambo uh i will be able to put a link to this presentation already because uh mr rambo did the same presentation a week or two after and start here at uh swiftconf or oh, no uh, I forgot the name, but it's a, uh, the Switzerland conference that happened, I think, two weeks after. A lot of people that were coming from the U.S. went to NSO and then went to Europe to some of those conferences, uh, including Guillermo. And I've seen uh, that the, his presentation was already posted on that conference. And we talked a bit, uh, a couple of questions about his presentation. And then I asked him, "Is like, is that the same thing that you've done? And he says, yes. So it's good that if you want to see it, uh, there's that. But I've learned, I learned a lot of great tips Um uh, some of them are kind of captain obvious about privacy data, but these days I feel that people tend to forget about them. So let's get through them. First one, don't collect data you don't need. If you don't need it, then you don't need to care about it. Then you don't need to protect it if it's privacy based data. Be careful with third parties, DK. The main reason why is if for your own good or for your own purpose in your app, let's say you're uh, like a geolocation, a geocaching ca- app. So you need to have access to the, loca- the user's location. If you add third parties, DKs, by you asking for the user's lo- permission for their location, you are also granting third parties, DK, the access to the user's location. It is not a different permission. The permission is for your app. The third party SDK is inside your app, so it also has this permission. If you have to process data, try to process it on device because if you can do the, all the processing that you might be easier for you or simpler or you can do like big stuff, AI stuff on the, on the back end, it is more, se- not secure, it is more privacy first to do it on the user's device than Moving the data, the user's data to the cloud, do it on the cloud, and then who knows where the user's data is on the user's perspective. Also, if you have to use some backend stuff, don't forget that CloudKit is GDPR compliant already. So this big, uh, the global data protection, I forgot the R. Oh, well. Yes, uh, GDPR. So this big new law from the uh, European Union about making sure that uh, your 
private regulation. Data. I Sorry. think that would make sense. That would be like global data protection regulation. That I think that makes total sense now that you say it. But yes, uh, this regulation is in place and it gives you like rights about your data, gives rights to be forgotten, gives rights to have access to all the data that as a company has on you. Like if you need some kind of storage that is cloud-based, CloudKit could be a solution for you. And it's not only available on iOS. Don't forget that CloudKit also has an API and a JavaScript API. So you could well build web, app, web apps and you can talk to it with different services that you have and use it. Uh, OS log, which is a new way to do logs in your app and log data in your app. Uh, by default, if you put data in it and you like say like, oh, I want to, let's say you have an error and say like, oh, error while processing uh, transaction one, two, three. And one, two, three is a parameter. Like those parameters become private in production there are like privacy in mind first so by using apple's logging system you have a lot of privacy that comes for free and you if by accident you, you were logging user data this doesn't uh, show on device running on the customers so if somebody is able to plug their device and then see at the console uh, because they use xcode then trying to find if they can understand data from your application they won't be able to see all of it I once reverse engineered an entire Korean mobile game by looking at the log and they were logging all their API requests to the log. So I was just able to recreate those API calls and then build my own server. It was cool. Um, uh, uh, I have a good story about uh, logs and uh, privacy implication is uh, a long time ago when we were going to Ottawa more often, we were using the train. And at some point, uh, we were also big users of NS Logger, which is a different logging uh, app. But it also has a Mac app where you can connect your the iOS device, and this is this is based on Bonjour. So we'll find the first oh, available no. device. Um. So yeah, one of my colleagues at some point some something pops up and it's like the Tillus prepaid app. So somebody in the train was recharging their or looking at their like cell phone bill that day, and yes, at that time the Tellus the Tellus app was uh, NS log enabled on production, so on the App Store version. So yeah, it would log your password and all that shit. So yeah, that's fun. And then somebody app uh, used it at work, and then my guy went to somebody in HR because there was somebody in HR that used it. It's like maybe you shouldn't use the app no more, but <laughs> because I can't see your password. So yeah iOS log is more secure for that. Uh, also, uh, if you have APIs, so you, in thinking about you building your own backend APIs, uh, there's also a way from Apple to make sure that those API can only be talked to from iOS devices. So Apple has a new, somewhat new uh, API called Apple's Device Check. And it is in combination of a native API that you use through the iOS SDK and a web API. And Apple describes it as an access per device, per developer data that your associated server can use in its business logic. And more or less is to say that this is used to make sure that this device that is trying to talk to some of your business logic on server is really a real Apple device that exists somewhere. And you can also use that to do fraud detection. Uh, some of the examples they give in the, in the document, Apple documentation is like, if you want to make sure that, um, like some of your promotion are not used twice, you could use an Apple device check to make sure that, like, 
by storing data that is attached to the device, but it's like per device, per developer. Uh, it is also uh, secure and private. So you don't, you don't, you're not end up say, like compromising on the privacy of the users, but also you end up having more secure uh, stuff. So Guillaume was talking that it could be, this API could be a way to say, my endpoint should only be talked to from iOS devices. So device text could be able to provide you with a token and then make sure that this token is valid from uh, the web API side of device check. The promotion not being used twice scenario kind of creeps me out because I don't see what the distinction is in that case from an advertising ID, except the advertising ID can be randomized and this can't. Yeah, this one is per, uh, here the idea is like, they say it's per developer. So like if you as a developer, you, I see what you mean, but I think that's like what it's still correlate those things. I guess you still, if you're doing things within the same developer, like you can already do some level of tracking via like keychain and all that stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I guess eh, maybe it's fine, but it, it's a little worrisome to have to talk about privacy. And the thing is use this unique ID. Like it's. <laughs> It's kind also, of against the values. Yes, but they also talk about uh flagging device as fraudulent. They could yeah, use yeah. that to you could use that to say like, oh no, this device shouldn't talk to me anymore. Yeah, there's also been um I know the app store SDKs for in app purchases for a while also let you pass in like um an identifier, a user identifier from like your system and they could do added fraud detection on the app store and stuff like that. So hmm. there's some other stuff going on there that's interesting. But yeah, just like the the first reaction was unique ID plus privacy is not compatible. <laughs> Last but not least in uh, the list of great tip from Guillermo in his ship it safe talk. Uh, was explain privacy implication to user. I think I think this one is quite important and also another caption obvious. Uh by explaining what happens when you do a specific action privacy wise, it might look tedious or might look cumbersome to the user. But for people that don't understand like by sharing X some Y happens and a good example that was given during this presentation is Siri shortcut sharing. When you use the share sheet before the share icon before the share sheet shows apple shows you a notification that says by sharing this shortcut all of the content of that shortcut is available to anybody that has access to the link you're about to share are you okay and if you're okay you can share if you're not okay uh you can share but one example you might have think that oh your siri shortcut talks to other party api but you might have r-coded your uh API key in it and by sharing that that make you cause some money loss because you pay for that API up until a certain it's free up until a certain limit or you store one of your personal password because it's easier for you and you don't really care so by explaining privacy implication you make sure that you tell them in clear text what will happen if they do x affecting their privacy and that was his last step one of the things that happened to me sort of like that a couple of years ago in my old job was I tried to share a note in Microsoft OneNote and I didn't realize that the button I was clicking was actually share this entire notebook and I had all of my notes in one notebook. So I, I shared 
with the rest of the company, the rest of my notes and my notes app. And I didn't realize I was doing it. And once it's shared, you can't just pull the link. Like it's just par- shared permanently. So they oh. had access to all my notes and I have never shared anything with OneNote ever since then. Yeah, that, that is a good example of bad explanation of privacy implication. Hopefully didn't say bad, wrote anything bad about other colleagues in it. Hopefully. No, nothing bad about other colleagues. I just, I had so much shit in there that they were probably like, I don't want to read this yeah. half written game review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was all your personal plus notes plus work notes, I can understand that. They might have access to stuff that they don't really care or shouldn't really need to have access to. And they don't have the time to sift through it and find the juicy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but all of this is while you listen to these tips and while being there in his presentation, you really feel like it's kind of captain obvious. That a lot of these, they should be just like talked about and just like being, uh, like well known. But with privacy aspect, it is always important to repeat and repeat and repeat to make sure that everybody understands. And every time I hear about these, for me and what I suggest to other listeners is they should use that as a checklist. Am I, am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I doing that? It is time to self-reflect on the way you build your product. Say, okay, yes, I don't collect the data I don't need. Oh, I'm, I'm using a lot of third-party SDKs. Are they really still useful to me? Am I processing data? Like, And then do that checklist every time people talk to you about, you should do that to be privacy-focused. And like, If you're privacy first, you should do this. Every time some when somebody tells that on the internet and stuff, just use it as a checklist. Make sure, am I okay with it? And at the end, you'll end up with a big list. And I think that's why Guillaume built his talk regarding that. And then uh, you'll end up with a, a list of like, yes, I'm safe for this. I am safe for that. I am safe for that. And then one day you might end up with adding a new a thing you forgot. And now you have it on your checklist every time you build a new feature. So that is it. Like I said, I'll add a link to the show notes to uh, Ship It Safe uh, since it was also uh, given in a conference a week after uh, NSNort. So if you want to watch it, you can be able to do it on YouTube. Last presentation that was part of the uh, kind of typical presentation. After that, I just want to talk about the closing keynotes. But the last presentation, which was completely unrelevant to technology it was really a emotional presentation uh, i think nobody was not prepared for this but wasn't expecting this but to me if i were to say which one like i would i will recall the most about nsnor 2019 this is this presentation from daniel steinberg called the best move on the board so daniel starts by talking about Go, not go the language, go the board game. And if I give you an exp- I, I've heard about Go, but I was like, what the fuck is that board game? Uh, Wiki says that Go is an abstract strategy board game for two players in which the aim is to surround more territory than the opponents. And the idea is you have stones that are kind of like, they remind me of, uh, they're black and white and then you blast them and there are strategies to make sure that, um, you have most territory. I think it's an old, if I recall correctly, it's an old Chinese game and there's a lot of strategy component to them to make sure that you own as much territory on the board. I'm pretty sure Go is Japanese, not Chinese. I might be wrong. You're correct. 
I'll do a quick uh, googling just because I want to make sure and uh, I've took the at the very least it's more popular in Japan than China. It uh, might be a Chinese game originally. But uh no, according to Wikipedia it is uh, it says the game was invented in China more than 25 2500 okay. years ago. So no, it was well, a it could just be popularity, but I recall yeah. seeing that uh, while I prepared my notes. Uh, but yeah, so the uh, idea says he's talking about one of the moves. Uh, the one he says one he's talking about the typical mistakes new player make on when they start playing to uh, go, which it is mainly saving all stone and all cost. And what you realize is by trying to save the. F- because talking about making putting the stone in a corner, it's a bad move because then your opponent can surround you. But then all the moves you try to make to surround you to to protect you from that surrounding and end up into you being like completely surrounded and then being blocked. And again, your opponent you kind of look noob in front of your opponent because the opponent is like and end up having a big surface area of your stuff. But the idea is making the idea is to comparing here is making sure you do the right move or like not saving all stone at all costs could be completely applied to your life decisions. Like there's stuff that are worth saving in your life. There's stuff that is not worth saving in your life. And that varies from person to person. But it is your job to define what's important for whom and why. That is what his main takeaway. He was talking a lot about his own personal experience because part of his talk was to say when something happens in life, like around the world, it might not be affecting you. We always process it through our own eyes, through me. And it was funny because he was talking about uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral fire. Like when that happened, uh, there was like a lot of people were the way they were processing it is through them, their last memories being there, or the last time they went there, or the last story that was valuable for them. Not through the eyes of like the French people are losing their cathedrals, like me. What happened to me there? And he's talking a lot about that, and he's talking about his own, like how which decision he made, like where do you say what's important for me or for whom? Like, why is it important for me or for my family? And he really kind of told a life story. Um, he really talked about his life experiences, uh, how it was affecting what he made is his work career decision part of like, because for him, what's important at all costs is family. Like, I won't move out to go to work. Like, work will come to me and will not only come to me, it will come to my family. It was super emotional. Uh, if you know Daniel Stanberg, uh, in the past, I think at 10, 15 years ago, he lost a, one of his child. And more recently, he lost his wife. He's been pretty, uh, he documented that a lot on his website, Dimson Thinking. So if you've been following him, uh, for all these years on the, on his, all the amazing work that he's done on iOS in the recent years, really talking about how you should think about your life like it's really good and really like it makes you think a lot about yourself and really emotional and that one was like it was funny because it kind of it ended saturday at at four and like it was like crying in the room like (laughs) it, it was weird to end the day on that note but it's not a bad way to end the day it's just like 
it makes you think that everybody end up in that state of mind of just thinking. And that's the goal of that presentation was to make people think about their own life like, and reflect on them and be a bit philosophical about their own life. So it was kind of funny because you ended the dinner conference on that thought, but it was super interesting. And that's that to me, those type of presentation are what makes a conference like NSNort and NSNort. It's not just about the tech. It's, it, tech is always about the people. And that nice transition brings me to the closing keynote. Because the closing keynote ex- is exactly about tech is about people, not about tech. And the title of it was Tech Humanist, Building the Meaningful Human Experiences of the Future by, oh my goodness, I forgot, it's Katie, but I forgot to write her last name. So, so sorry about that. Let me quickly go on the NS North website and I'll get that out. Kate O'Neill. Uh, so she wrote a book called The Tech a humanist and, and it's another book and uh, that it's a it's kind of Ken Keshenda's presentation Kate uh, is kind of going through a lot of the stuff that she does in her book but also it's a good teaser for her book but the idea is right now she's she built her own company as a consultant on how we think about technology in the future in the, the kind of the human way and it was really interesting because she started to she started with a big philosophical question. She says, what makes us human? And then she asked people and then she, she stopped, like, she really stops, like, let's take a second. Is good, uh, like, and then everybody says, okay, I have, a, I have my, I have my idea. And it says, did some of you think about creativity? And then people raise their hand. Then some of you t- thought about problem solving, empathy, love. And she kind of says like, oh yeah, all of these are good answers. But to me, they all have something in common. And for her, what makes us human is crave of meaning. Like we always want to find meaning at something. And that is really what makes us human. And what makes us us human versus robot. A robot right now doesn't, like, it does its job and doesn't care about meaning. Why should I do this job, right? It just does it. And this balance of understanding what makes us humans is always challenged with everything we do with tech. Like, we always improving ourselves and like changing the way we should think or evolve. And, and she's trying to make sure that we always strike the right balance. Because from what we've seen, sometimes places, sometimes people, they might not strike the right balance and it might affect the way we are in the future and the way we experience stuff um a good experience that she says is like when you change how people experience things you change the culture of people so a good quote she had was experiences at scale changes culture but she says no no it doesn't change culture if you experience the same thing at scale it becomes the new culture and then she went on a big tangent that was really on point for that it's like she talked about the Amazon Go grocery stores. So if you don't know what they are, because they are not really common here in Canada, but Amazon is building grocery stores that are not Whole Food by buying Whole Food. It's like, those are like no clerk, no nobody. You enter with your phone. First thing you do, you go onto uh, revolving doors or carousels and you just scan it with your phone and you're entered. And the store 
when you pick up stuff from the shell, knows that it's from you. But one of the one of the human things that happen in a grocery store, super simple. A shorter person might want something from the upper shelf, or an elderly person might need help to move bags or move like a a, a box of bottles up to the front of the grocery store. You, people help each other in grocery stores, but that cannot happen in an Amazon Go store. Why? If I pick up something, I'm being charged. Simple as that. So you're, you are incentivized to not help others. And that's kind of what, that was really saying like, if now we're incentivized to not help others, we'll stop help others everywhere. And it will become the way we are. We never help others because it might have like wrong consequences for ourselves. And it's just because I'm getting hurt or because like I'm making myself in danger. It's like, we are, the way we change ourselves by making those experiences, we are changing culture itself. And we might not realizing right now that we are changing our culture. And she was kind of leaning after that saying like, but all of these, like, we are giving, we, we are giving a way for absurdity to change a lot of things. So we can't give absurdity a change to scale. That's absurd that you cannot help somebody because you be like, you being charged, uh, it makes sense now to think of it because like a camera saw you took the thing, but that camera, that AI is not able to understand. I took a thing, I gave it to somebody just to for help them. And now let's make this absurdity of like being really kind of egocentric grow at scale. And that also means that it will be hard right now. And she really thinks that we shouldn't leave meaning up to the machines. Like we are good as human to understand the meaning of our actions. That would be a good example again. Oh, I understand. If, if you, if you were a human watching camera, you would see person A takes from the shelf, give it to another person, another person go to the cashier and again go pay. You understand? Like, that's person B that should pay for it. But right now, and according to her, excuse me, we shouldn't leave meaning up to the machines. And she ended her talk. Uh, she ended her closing keynotes making us think about like, what are we trying to do as programmers, as companies? What are we trying to do at scale? Because we need to think about what we're trying to do at scale, how it evolves, how it's changing our perspective, how it's changing the way we interact with each other. So another big, big, big way to end, uh, the, the key, the conference with this closing keynote that was super interesting. Like that to me too, uh, like compared to Ken's Kashenda's, like I know a lot about Apple, but that is something not that I don't know a lot, a lot, but I kind of opened my eyes about, I think I need to know more about this. And it feels that her book, of course, it was given for free for attendees. So. <laughs> at some point there's that too right but i do feel that kate was making amazing points about that it's like sometimes we're not or maybe we have some biases that are for not making us not realize the consequences of what we're doing in our full technology world and she's not against it not at all like i feel that sometimes when people are critical of it like some of the stuff she's been doing They've been telling, oh, you just, just don't want tech. No, I think she really wants tech to be me- meaningful for humans, not tech to be meaningful for tech. And to me, that was one of the best way we could have end NS North because that type of topic, again, 
to me feels really NS note. It wraps up all like how you build things, then how you protect things with the talk from Guillermo Rambo, how you make sure all users can access it. But are you making the right choice to make sure that we're not changing our wall in the wrong direction? Yeah, and uh, there are like a million different angles we could take this, but we have been taking forever to record tonight because of my terrible internet, so I don't really <laughs> want to go on too, too long. But one of the things that stands out to me is, and this is not necessarily true for all time, but uh I've always sort of felt this di- difference in how Google approaches, uh or rather Alphabet approaches technology and how Apple approaches technology, where Apple approaches technology more from an angle of here are devices that can aid you in your day-to-day life. Whereas Alphabet, like there's always been this sort of creepy, not very discussed undertone of we are researching ways to make you live forever because our founders kind of think that's a cool idea. And a bunch of other weird, like, we want to make implants so you can have Google in your brain 24-7, which is kind of ridiculous, slippery slope. And I feel that uh, Apple has almost always been more centered on products that help humans do human stuff whereas google is more like how can we make humans into cyborgs that are geniuses <laughs> right it's kind of a big divide between those two approaches and like within all of that there's also like bay area culture like i i was laughing when you said like i would like to know more about this subject because to me it just feels like i just opened twitter and all of my bay area friends are <laughs> bitching about uber and uh, Amazon all day and they're like we're fucking fed up with this culture that is trying to lead us to this future yeah but like if you think about it like a couple of years ago there were the people like what Amazon is doing is the best like I'm taking Uber all the time right and that's I think that's the balance she's trying to strike with our types of work is really to say maybe we should think about that before building the tech not after and realizing we were wrong right yeah, because but the problem is late. like, well, well, I've sort of had this idea for a kind of episode that we could do sometime uh, about like common complaints about the YouTube algorithm. Like mm. people are very quick to jump and bitch about the YouTube algorithm and how YouTube algorithm is responsible for all the mass killings in the world and a bunch of other things. And you're like, hold on a second, like indirectly, maybe yes, to a certain degree, but when you actually analyze how all of this shit works and the decisions that work, it's like, it's very, very complex and hard to analyze. And there are sort of like extreme viewpoints, which are like, well, if machine learning can't be edited by a human to prevent extreme cases of abuse or whatever, uh, then we shouldn't be using machine learning at all until we actually understand how it works. And it's like, that's not a good solution either because there is good and there's bad and we are going to have to decide if the good is worth the bad. And anyway, that, I don't want to drag on too much more, no, but, but it, it's I, kind of a thing that has been growing in influence over the past few years. No, I, I don't think there's like, Answer for everything for this, like literally, but I think there all, definitely isn't. Everything, everything you just said is like opening your mind about this is already good. Whether you don't know what to answer, it's like that's the first step. Now you'll think more about it. You'll like question yourself about it more. Uh, and you might end up, you might end up like, I don't know what to do with this. Like I might need people like Kate that are helping companies to 
build more like human focused tech and i think that is a valid first of all question and a lot a series of questions a lot of companies should do these days especially in the current world yeah but the the answers to those questions are direct odds with their business model but okay uh, yeah no fine. oh yeah yeah that was mentioned too that was mentioned too those are art those are art it's it's like the privacy checklist thing. When you were talking about that earlier, I was like, yeah, Google should do this. Oh, wait, they can't because they need to collect all that data because it's their business. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, that's, let's say that's life. But yes, that's the difficult trade-off sometimes. So all of these were my kind of highlights of NSNOR 2019. So, um, again, uh, NS North is uh, organized by Philippe Casgrain, uh, who worked at Lightspeed. So I knew Philippe for a couple of years back already. And I've learned, le- learned to know, uh, Dan a little bit more by me attending those conferences. They do an amazing job I, again every year. Uh, after the 2016 edition, it was a bit unsure whether we, uh, would have a next uh, NS North. So I'm super happy that. Uh, and this North came back in 2019. It really became an Insta buy for me. If after listening to this episode, you like to attend, I kind of have sad news for you <laughs> because they kind of been now officially on unlimited hiatus. They, they are on hiatus, but they are, it's undefined. I think they, the word they use is undefined hiatus. Uh, so they're JavaScript developers. Yeah. So they kind of not a number. I know. I know. Come on. But yeah, so they are on IATIS. Who knows what they, they come back. Uh, at least they've went to five. Like a lot of conference are stuck at four edition. Singleton is a good example of that. Uh, now they've burst to that and they're at five. Uh, that could be nice a number to end at. I hope I not. I C4 had four editions. Uh, I am personally like my favorite of the Apple weird alt conferences is C4 and I would do anything for that to come back. Yeah. So, but yeah, some of like, I know it was hard for them sometimes to organize, not only organize, but have a lot of people for it to be uh, really successful. So uh, hopefully I really hope uh, that it will come back. And of course, maybe by sharing the love like I'm doing right now, it will help it to come back to make more people aware of it. Uh, but yes, so if you want to see some of the previous content, I know on nsnord.ca they put a lot of the videos. Uh, I think recently, just before the uh, this year's edition, they started to put last year's video out, some of them. So I strongly invite you, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to their website. Um, but yeah, to me it was like, uh, it was one of those conferences that is an insta-buy. So uh, if I'm sorry in advance, if my episode this week made it an insta-buy for you that you can't buy, but I'm not sorry at the same time. So I hope you enjoyed that, and that was it for me. Cool. Uh, if you'd like to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to limitlesspossibility.net slash 112, or you can find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find us on Twitter. Go submit questions for my game jam episode in two weeks uh we are at limipo podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast you can also find us individually on twitter i am at sakurina that's s-a-k-u-r-i-n-a and you can find you at luconosh that's l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-e 
and we'll see you in two weeks. Ciao, see you in two weeks.